Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. And we're joined by John Bryce from Football Scoop and Irish Illustrated as well. He is mobile right now. The three of us, we're going to uh, we're going to talk about a few things that are happening here this week. Mike Denbrock, by the way, will meet with the media on Friday, February 23rd. Looking forward to that. I want to talk about, and it's in the news, it's stuff that we already knew, of course, with the, well, generally speaking, with the playoff format, the, the five plus seven. I, I, you know, I, I still hear that Notre Dame's getting the short end of the stick here with this. Uh, and they're not. They don't have a conference championship game. So Notre Dame has to give back or had to give back in some way. And, it, you know, really, I mean, maybe having your buy at the end of the regular season as opposed to having a conference championship game before you get into the playoffs, maybe that's better for Notre Dame anyway. I definitely think it is because we talked about this in the summer. Um not the summer, in the winter, sorry. <laughs> I've lost my mind. We talked about this a couple months ago with Pete, and we mentioned that the conference championship game is a heck of a lot harder than any game on Notre Dame's schedule this year. It wasn't last year because they played Ohio State, but most years, that's a very, very, very hard game, especially if you're in the SEC or the Big Ten. Um, usually the Big Ten has to beat a really good team to get to that conference championship game. Obviously, the Big Ten West has struggled, but I think it's a huge advantage for Notre Dame, um, but I'm most puzzled by how all of a sudden people forgot that this came out a year ago, and all of a sudden everybody's mad about it again. <laughs> well, it, it's really been brewing towards this for like two years, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's a tremendous disadvantage to Notre Dame at all. I think when you look at the totality of trying to win a national championship in this expanded format, the difference between potentially playing 16 games versus 17 games is significant. And that, that 17th game, obviously being, if you have a conference championship game to play and then look, Notre Dame officials leaned into the fact that they were more than willing to give up the chance to be a first round buy in order to have a chance to host a playoff game and very much want to host a playoff game and hope that uh, South Bend weather cooperates miserably on, you know, a, a gloomy December afternoon or evening. So I don't think it's a bad thing for Notre Dame and, and doing some other radio spots this week and visiting with some other people around the country. Certainly, there's still a lot of envy that Notre Dame can be as seated as high as five in this new format and, and still get to host a playoff game against a, a 12-seated team, which in all likelihood in that scenario would, would be that group of five conference champions. It would have been Liberty from a year ago that would have gotten that number 12 slot, I believe, if Notre Dame had been the number five slot. Also, Tim, the only thing to complain about is that it's not absolutely perfect if you're a Notre Dame fan. You're an independent team that doesn't play a conference championship game. You want to be able to be ranked number one? How are you going to be ranked number one? Because you go 12-0 and and you beat a bunch of group of five teams and a couple of really good teams? You have to prove yourself over other teams and conferences. So Notre Dame, sure, the last two schedules... Could have worked out where Notre Dame 12 and 0 would be like, hey, they should be number one, man. They beat, Ohio, especially two years ago, they beat Ohio State and Clemson. They got to be number one. Or in USC, two years ago, that schedule would be number one worthy. Most of the time, Notre Dame's not the number one team in the country if they don't play a conference championship game. They don't yeah. have a good, that's the extra cherry on top good team you have to play. Yeah. Jack Swarbrick was the only athletic director that was really seriously involved in, in the 12 team playoff uh, discussions. And he he negotiated in good faith. I mean, you can't you can't go to that table and expect them to, 
you know, cut Notre Dame slack in terms of, you know, not having the conference championship game. So he did what a, what a quality athletic administrator had to do uh, to get Notre Dame involved, as JB said, as you know, with the opportunity to, to have that fifth seed, the opportunity to host a, a, a home game. I, it, I really think that it kind of spaces out pretty well talking about the schedule Notre Dame has, whereas last year we were, you know, it was the eight games out of the shoot with the Dublin trip. Uh, which may have taken its toll, but this year it's five games on by week, three games on by week, four games on to end the season, and then you don't have the conference championship game, so you build in another week of preparation for the playoffs. So I think it works out about as well as you could expect. I will say, and, and, go ahead, JB. I was just going to say quickly, and, and let's remember that every single year Notre Dame finishes its regular season on the road at one of the California schools, either at, at Stanford or USC. If Notre Dame had that, then had to come back and, and face the specter of a conference championship game the very next weekend um, at a neutral site location, presumably, then you're talking about even more logistical trouble, even more wear and tear on your players' bodies and an even tougher path uh, into and through the college football playoff format. This no is really hard to go back and think about, but really I, that 2022, if they went undefeated, they would have been number one, deserving of number one seed. Uh, Cause that was Caleb Williams, USC to end it, Ohio state at Ohio state to start it and undefeated yeah. Clemson who they yeah. beat. But last year's was not worthy. And if you're going back, like, I mean, 2019, I guess you went at Georgia, you could have an argument, but there's not a lot of years there where you think without a conference championship game, that Notre Dame absolutely is the number one or two team of the country. No, I would agree. I want to bring up EA Sports, not because I care about EA Sports. I'm not a not a gamer at this stage of my life, but what I like about it, and Notre Dame, you know, announced their involvement with the with the relaunching of EA Sports. What I like about it is, and that's what Jack Swarbrick and Notre Dame likes about it, is it's true NIL. I mean, that is name image likeness. That was the whole idea of NIL. And so naturally. Notre Dame is supportive of that. I think there's 11,000 student athletes. I think it was mentioned um, that will benefit from, uh, you know, from an NIL perspective with EA, EA sports. I just think it's, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's the right thing for Notre Dame to be involved with it. And they got involved when they felt that it was true NIL. Yeah, we had 28 years later, right? From when Ed O'Bannon wanted to get his name, image, and likeness out oh, there for being on a video game. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, this is actual NIL and the actual reason it came about. And and the same company that was involved then is the, yeah. the one we're all talking about now, EA Sports and their uh, college football. So I think it's good. You can't uh, – I don't play games like I used to, um, but I'll, I will definitely buy this game for the PS4. I'm not upgraded to a 5, but I will 100% <laughs> buy this game for the – for the PS4, and I'm excited for it. And you can't have um, a college football game without having Notre Dame be a part of it. John, do you know, or Tim, perhaps maybe the better person to ask, if this is still available on Sega Genesis from the 1992 version I had while in college? Because I was a dominant force in EA Sports 1992. So I can't imagine any technology has changed, and I will just challenge anybody to this game. No. Why am I not surprised, T.O., that you were a dominant force in that? Oh, I'm, man. I'm, I'm the least surprised guy in well, the world. My, my senior year roommate and I at Campus View, which is now Turtle Creek, but it's the real Campus View, not the new one. Uh, we played every morning one sudden, there's a sudden death format. We played the whole NFL schedule in sudden death 
<laughs> so it could take no more than five minutes per game, basically, or you could end in a tie after five minutes. <laughs> it was the most fun thing in the world. There would be, I mean, there was getting in at four in the morning and playing at six in the morning before class. It was, we played a whole schedule. It was a very good time. I don't think, I don't recommend doing that to people out in college nowadays, trying to get better grades, but it was fun. Hey, Mike, we're finally going to uh, to hook up with Mike Denbrock on Friday. We've been looking forward to that. I wasn't sure they were even going to do that. They they they've announced to the media the the various interviews that we'll have beginning on uh, March seventh through the Blue Gold game on April twentieth. So we we've been aware that we were going to meet him. I think it was it's later in in the spring, but yeah. I wasn't quite so sure that they were going to introduce him and have an opportunity to to speak with him, but. You know, I think everybody that's interacted interacted with Mike Denbrock, and I've been covering Notre Dame long enough to, you know, for the third time through for for Mike Denbrock, and and looking forward to it. I, I'm I'm very interested to hear about, um, and we've communicated a little bit, but um, you know, his how he has improved as as an offensive coordinator since he left Notre Dame in 2016. The reality is that. He could have stayed at Notre Dame, but it wasn't going to be in a play caller offensive coordinator's role as as Brian Kelly tried to make some changes and kind of jumpstart the program again. And he felt like Mike Denbrock felt like he had uh, more to do as an offensive coordinator. And he certainly proved himself at, at, at Cincinnati with Desmond Ritter and, and that group of people. I don't think you'll find a lot of people down on the Denbrock hire, but just imagine how things changed, man. Before Cincinnati's run in 2021, you couldn't have found a human if they said Denbrock's taken over for Chip Long back then that people would have been all on board with that. Then you go to a playoff appearance by Cincinnati with Mike Denbrock there and Jaden Daniels is the leading scorer in the country and the Heisman, and all of a sudden everybody's back on board, which they should have been. It's a very it's strange, man. Can you imagine in 2016 when Denbrock was so disappointed not to get that if you said, well, he'll be back in about seven years. <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't believe I, I frankly, when, when he came in with, uh, with, uh, Willingham, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that Denbrock had been with Brian Kelly at Grand Valley state at that right, point. So right. when Brian Kelly brought him back in, I'm like, well, I didn't even, I didn't even know that. And frankly, you know, the 2016 purge, that had a hell of a lot more to do with the defensive side of the ball and BVG as a defensive coordinator than it did the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think you make a lot of changes when you have to make when you're four and eight. You just well, that's what it was. Do, and, 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 Den, and Denbrock understood that. He understands how the game's played, and he understood that. But he felt he had more to do as a coordinator, and he went out and he proved it. John, you there? Yeah, I'm I'm just uh, engaging with with you guys as listening to your perspective on it. I'm excited. I got to do a huge feature on on Denbrock maybe three years ago uh, when Cincinnati was amidst one of its runs, and that was my first time uh, to deal with him on a one-on-one basis and get to know him a little bit better. Um, and I still remember here he is running through a, a great season with Cincinnati, and after we run that feature on Football Scoop, he takes the time to text me and thank me for doing that story. And, and um, those are the moments that you, you remember because they reveal their true character of a person. So um, I'm excited to visit again with Denbrock. I think what he's done um, the last three to four years of his career is as uh, singular a career renaissance as we've seen from a coordinator in college football, probably in the 2000s. I think it's interesting from a human point of view, Priester and John, 
like I like Tommy Reese. Uh, I like interview with Tommy Reese. He would be a little surly with the media and stuff like that. But other than Tommy Reese, think of these offensive coordinator personalities at Notre Dame. You could go to Chuck Martin, by the way, as an offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Mike Denbrock, who is the most likable guy in the world, if it's not Jared Parker as the most likable guy in the world, who had the most fun of Chip Long to talk to of all the people you'll ever talk to in your life about sports off the record, of course, is Chip Long. Yeah, uh, a bunch of interesting personalities there in contract length. We've said it over and over again. It uh, It is four years. JB, you're the one, right? Four four years. Yeah, nine four years years for four four years for Denbrock, four years for Al Golden, right around nine million for Denbrock. Um, it starts around two point two, two point three million, right in that range is where it takes off and then uh escalates by about a hundred thousand dollars per year over the lifetime of the deal and and ditto for, for golden. It's right around that two point one two million mark and escalating by a hundred thousand or so each of those years. Plus there's uh incentives within that. Uh we don't want to forget those and um I'll be curious to learn, hopefully learn how those incentives change with the playoff, because obviously it's going to be a more accessible playoff field. So you would think some of those playoff bonuses yeah. might come down a tick in their in their percentage. The 16 percent is a pretty common number at a lot of the schools right now. A lot of the power five schools from the contracts I've examined, including some in the SEC this week. 16 percent is a common figure that um, coaches and staff are awarded from a bonus standpoint if they get a college football playoff berth. Um, you have to imagine some ADs are going to want to uh, rein that in a little bit, especially um, as they're struggling uh, in some financial situations between how much money is going into NIL and how much money is still coming into athletics advancement. As, as, we, re, as we were talking like late last week about the, the contract length and a, a lot of people want to know about the buyout JB. I don't know if you have that information I've said, and and this isn't 100% accurate, but I've said, you know, with Denbrock, it really, it really doesn't matter because he's not going any, anywhere. He, this is his idea is that this is kind of the last hurrah. Uh, although I th- he's a young 60, um, you know, with his career and he wants it to be at Notre Dame, but you know, people followed up and said, well, what if he's, what if somebody wants to make him a head coach? What if he gets a, uh, um, an offer from the NFL as a coordinator? What is his buyout? JB, do you know what his buyout is? I I mean, that stuff isn't always readily available to us. Yeah. In general, I believe, uh, in talking with some coaches in this cycle that the more or less the format is, um, Notre Dame would be owed, I think 50% of whatever remaining salary was on a coach's contract if he left. But if, but I think there's a caveat that if the coach leaves for a parallel or lesser job, that would be, uh, that would trigger the buyout. Typically there are carve outs in there um, for a head coach's role. I would think that would be the only carve out that would really be present for an Al Golden or a Mike Denbrock that they would be able to leave for a head coach's role and that the buyout would be mitigated at that point in time. But from talking with a number of people during this coaching cycle, um, it's my understanding that the Notre Dame is implementing something around a 50% buyout um, for whatever is left remaining on a contract in terms of guaranteed salary. As we know, Tim O'Malley, uh, any coach can leave at any time for anywhere pretty much. Right. So I guess I yeah. shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't be yeah. so certain, but 
but having safer no, than most safer than most is Mike Denbrock, right? Yeah. Having known Mike Denbrock for the last two decades, I, 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 this is where he wants to be. He never left Notre Dame of, of his own volition the previous two times. I guess you could say the second time he did because he still had a job at Notre Dame, but he wanted to do more as an offensive coordinator, and rightfully so. His first stint, obviously, with with Tyrone Willingham and Kent Bear and Bill Dietrich and that staff was cut short after three years. Um let me just interject one more quick thing uh, that I, I think is pertinent here. So Notre Dame was also able to get Mike Denbrock away from LSU and reported on this at length, uh, not just because Notre Dame gave him a fourth year on a contract that, that LSU was not willing to do, um, but Notre Dame also then had to pay somewhere in the neighborhood of 375000 to $400,000 at LSU. But that was – far more affordable than had Denbrock signed his new deal that he had verbally agreed to with LSU just days before this all happened with Notre Dame back in December, then the buyout would have been closer to $1.5 million. And then you're talking about an entirely different landscape at that point. It probably would have at minimum made it uh, very difficult, if not impossible for Notre Dame to give that fourth year on the contract here on the front end. So um, Denbrock had agreed to the deal, but was savvy and, and just set on it. And then things fell into place and, and Notre Dame did a lot of really good things to make it happen and to get Mike Denbrock. But I find those numbers fascinating. I'm a little bit of a uh, contract nerd when it comes to these college football coaches contracts. Good. We need, co- we need contract nerds, JB. Glad, glad to have that information. We do want better. It's better than 92 Sega nerds, right? To have a contract nerd for our listeners. I think that works out better. We, uh, thank <laughs> We, I, I do want to talk about Matty Augustine, that the the, uh, the uh, offensive lineman that verbally committed to Notre Dame. We're going to push that back to segment two with one of the questions. Uh, end up with a uh, the segment one here with a little bit of hoops talk. Notre Dame's won three in a row. The men's basketball team they haven't been playing great competition, but they continue to play quality defense. The the Georgia Tech win in the middle of those three was was an ugly ugly win as JB. Uh, wrote about at the time, but they went to Louisville last night. Louisville's bad. They can't shoot. They they make bad decisions <laughs> on the shots that they do choose to shoot. Uh, but Notre Dame did what they had to do. Hey, there aren't many teams in the country that are two and ten in a major conference and have the wherewithal and the motivation to come out and win three in a row, go five and ten. It gets tougher here down the stretch as they travel to. But they're going to get one, North Carolina. They're going to find a way now because they have some confidence. That's why when they won the when they beat Virginia Tech and looked good, like they finally looked. I didn't see yeah. the Virginia game. I was traveling. Obviously, that's the best game they played in a couple of years. But I didn't see the Virginia game. So the Virginia Tech game was my version of their best. Well, they made shots against Virginia first yeah. and foremost. So when they looked good and won a game, and I thought, and then they won a game ugly, which is how you expect them to win. It's like. All right, that's fine. Now you beat Louisville. You have three in a row. You can go to Syracuse without fake confidence, with actual confidence. You can yeah. beat someone now because of that. You can upset a team at home. You're not going to beat North Carolina, but I mean, you can upset teams when you have some confidence the way they're playing. Well, and I think Notre Dame's style of play, we, we've said it all season long, Notre Dame's style of play and commitment to the style of play that Micah Shrewsbury wants has always, I felt, afforded the Irish a chance to get some of these wins over the course of the season, just because they're going to frustrate teams. And an immature, uh, pretty untalented Louisville team was pretty easy to frustrate last night. And even when the Cardinals 
showed just a modicum of fight. Notre Dame, I thought, had a great answer that, again, showed the resolve and the belief that they're continuing to establish under Micah Shrewsbury. I'm a believer that this three-game winning streak, as much as the competition, is very uh, lowly overall. I think this is a, a foundational stretch that if this is a team playing on the bubble a year from now with a chance to make the NCAA tournament, I truly believe this stretch right now will be bedrock of that potential. I, I totally agree with that. I, I addressed it in my Thursday thoughts column today that, you know, defense and rebound remains the foundation of a successful program. And this is a successful program in progress. They don't have enough consistency offensively to make it happen. They're not bringing guys off the bench now that can, that can really score or shoot. But as they are 26 games into the regular season, 15 games into the ACC, they're number 27 in the country in scoring defense. They're number 69 in field goal percentage defense. And they're number 111 in rebounding margin, which for Notre Dame teams in recent years, the way they would get beaten up on the backboards, they'll be tested at. They'll be tested at Syracuse and North Carolina coming up, but um, you know, just great, just great to see. It is foundational, and I think that it will carry over. Wrapping up this segment, segment one, real quickly. Northern baseball off to a three and zero start. The first time they've done that since 2010, when Dave Schrag was in his final season as head coach at Notre Dame. But that was a, against Mississippi Valley State. This came against Rice. Rice isn't a great team but they did win the national title in 2003, the year after Notre Dame beat them to eliminate them from the College World Series in 2002. I was there in Omaha that day, a walk-off home run by Brian Stavisky, uh, still one of the great moments in, in recent Notre Dame baseball history. But these, these transfers, um, these grad transfers from UCLA and Michigan and, and Tulane and Harvard and St. John's, are really paying off. Notre Dame scored 16 of their 25 runs over the weekend in the final three innings of the last two games. I, I like what Sean Stifler has done and his ability to bring in grad transfers. A great start for Notre Dame baseball. Really impressive start. I liked what um, no, I like. I like the way that Notre Dame manufactured its offense last week, and it, it didn't have the the long ball on Friday and the season opener for both teams. And I I think just scratched out three hits over the course of that game, but but found a way to win. And and again, that can set a tone for an entire weekend, if not longer, uh, when you're in year two uh, under a new coach, when you've not done what you wanted to do the year before, and when you have so many newcomers. But I thought that was a sign of maturity, the way that Notre Dame won that first game, then got the long ball going a little bit more in the second, third games, showed a variety of arms out of the bullpen, and, and Jack Penny, um, flawless defense and his transition to shortstop did not commit an error throughout the weekend said I was crunching some numbers on him yesterday um, he's had in 88 career games I think he's had 11 errors total his career fielding percentage is right around 97 percent the guy's elite and then he didn't he maybe only had one or two hits last weekend but he was on base eight times total and I think he might have only had eight official at-bats. So he found ways to get on base. That's what this team has to do until they get some more uh, holes in the in the lineup plugged a little bit. But but to go win at a Rice program that has been more consistent in baseball than any other athletics program that that university fields, I thought was a really nice start. For more on Northern Baseball, you can uh, check it out on irishillustrate.com. I, I read about it in today's 
Thursday thoughts. And for Notre Dame football fans, I can't promise that Drake Bowen will slide across home plate with the lead run in the seventh inning like he did last Sunday. They pinch ran him. I didn't even realize he was in the game until he executed a, a, a pretty darn near near perfect uh, head first slide in home plate when he jumped up and celebrated. And I realized it was it was Drake Bowen making his Notre Dame baseball debut. I don't anticipate him being necessarily a guy that's going to get a lot of uh, opportunities uh, here in his redshirt sophomore baseball season. He's got more important things to do for the, the Notre Dame football team. But uh, Notre Dame baseball on ESPN Plus this Friday and ESPN Plus on Sunday. The doubleheader on Saturday is not going to be broadcast as far as I can tell. Uh, but that's Notre Dame baseball, Notre Dame basketball. Wrap up coming up, segment two, burning up the boards. Welcome back to segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question is from Brian739. He has a few offensive tackles to ask about. Among Augustine, Strebig, Black, and Lang, if he signs, who could play guard or center, or do we have four pure tackles? And uh, You know, I think it's a little premature to be speculating on that. I, I mean, if you asked me which one of the four would might be most inclined to slide inside, I, I would probably say Strebig. Um, you know, I, I, I might... My film review on Maddie Augustine was not glowing because I he just needs to bend more. He he just he plays too tall and he can run people off the ball. That was that was a more acute problem uh, during his sophomore year than his junior year. He's he's a pretty powerful powerful dude now. And I think you know I just think that I think the way I wrote it was Augustine. Uh, all these he's and he does have a bunch of good offers. It's not the player that he is now it's the player that he can be and i think that you know um uh, kevin sinclair of, of irish illustrated has talked about interacting with him that he is a top of the line notre dame type kid uh reminds me of kind of like mcglinchy that he's going to whatever needs to be done he's going to do that all these guys are long um you know i think i think lang is the best tackle of the group i think uh Will Black is next, but Augustine's going to narrow that gap. And Strebig, I, you know, I don't know whether we don't know they're all going to pan out. I mean, you don't know yeah. that you're going to, you know, that they're all going to have a starting spot along the offensive line. But it's a good looking group, and they'll they'll figure it out. And I can I can tell you just real quickly that um, th this staff was on Will Black early. They like him a lot. They they believe very much an extreme upside for him. So I know that there's uh, some some debate there about who would be number one and who would be the number two tackle uh, from that group for, for Notre Dame. But this Notre Dame staff is extremely high on him. And then Strebig is a guy that, that's got a toughness about him when you watch him that I think makes you believe if he was needed to shift inside to guard, he could and have that physicality. And he reminds me a little bit of, of a Billy Shrouth with maybe a, a bit higher ceiling uh, right now. I want to chime in on the guard tackle thing. And and yes, yeah, some are going to move. Um, maybe maybe all but one of them will end up moving because there's a guy like Gerby Lambert and Emil Wagner who are also hanging out at Notre yeah. Dame as well. They're pretty good tackles <laughs> prospects. These are the best guards I could think of. Unfortunately, I started thinking about it 10 seconds ago. Off the top of my head at Notre Dame since BK started. Obviously, Quentin Nelson is number one. Chris Watt, Alex Bars, Aaron Banks, Tommy Kramer, Steve Elmer, and then you can say Lombard and Lug. OK, yeah. all of those guys were tackle prospects or played tackle, except for Chris Watt. It'll all of them. Out. 
It will, all of them it, played it tackle at Notre Dame, except for um, Nelson, who wanted to play tackle at Notre Dame. Believe it. How about that? How about having to convince that guy he's not going to play to play what he wants to play? That's actually, a lot of fun I, in the NIL I, era. I actually, I think the convincing was more difficult with with the father than yeah. it was the son. Just think of the NIL era. You're not going to play tackle. Okay, I'm going to leave. Okay, you can play tackle. That's my yeah. <laughs> I do. I do want to add that you know I don't know that Lang, which I think we thought about a month ago was a slam dunk for Notre Dame. I'm not sure that he is a is a slam dunk. But when I look at the list and people say who's next or who do you want next. My two are Damian Shanklin, the defensive end, and 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 laying the offensive tackle. Um, not sure how well that's going to work out. Question from uh, Zippy Shark nine eight three: Which offensive players have the most to prove in spring practice? I wrote down a couple. I'm going to go away from. I think what you guys might say. I think Eli Raritan and Jadarian Price are my two picks. Wow. I uh, completely under understand the Eli Raritan and, and um, probably would agree with that. I would um, focus immediately on the offensive line. I think it's more than, than, than a single individual on the offensive line. I think several of those guys have a quite a bit to prove this spring. And then beyond that, um, you know, you want to see some, uh, some guys prove themselves at the quarterback position. Can Angeli build on what we saw from him? in the bowl game. And I know that was a Oregon state team that was depleted, but Angeli had a revamped offensive line as well. So um, for me, it's, it's the offensive line, multiple players along the front, and then it's Riley Leonard and Steve Angeli. What did they prove? Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. I, you know, I would throw out the name Jordan Batella because uh, RJ Oban and Bubakar Traore are are going to play significant roles and Jordan Batello is going to have to, he's going to have to hold, hold his own. You know, it depends how you interpret this question. I, you know, I mean, it could be guys that are right on the cusp, uh, but it also could be, um, you know, Brennan Vernon, who is, who's going to have an opportunity to try to, to move inside and try to, to prove himself. Uh, these are such broad questions. I, I think I, Jaden Mickey is a guy that needs yeah. to make, Significant improvement, uh, you know. Certainly, Sneed, uh, Jalen Sneed, and I was going to say Christian Gray because he's he has big opportunity to step in the starting lineup. But heck, to Jalen Sneed may be at the he's at the top of the list, right? He is. I went the other way because I don't want to see Jadarian Price come out of the spring when they say, "Yeah, we have four, maybe five guys we can really count on." And they're all going to have some roles. I know they're all going to have roles. I want Jadarian Price to be the best running back coming out of the spring, where they know who it is, and Jeremiah Love is a change of pace for him. And then they like the other guys. I think that is. I already know he's going to be fine, Jadarian Price. I want him I, I, to be next. Yeah, I thought the question was uh, limited to the offensive side of the ball, so um, maybe I'm wrong there. Oh, but yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Oh, yeah. oh, so you're just cheating, TP. Yeah, yeah, we could have said Sneed for everything here on the, yeah, on the most yeah. on the most approved. It's Sneed, of course, and Batello. You and know, Eli Raritan is in that same realm. Like I, I have faith in Eli Raritan, but it's time for Eli Raritan to not to be the guy that always catches three passes for forty yards and a touchdown. Not oh, he caught three passes for forty yards and a touchdown. I mean, any you could name any one of how many receivers that have to. I mean, who. I think, uh, you know, I think we all expect Jordan Faison to be good, okay? Um, he's going to be splitting time between. He apparently is going to, you know, when it's installation days and and Kevin Corrigan, the lacrosse head coach, is, is very open-minded about 
you know, sharing Jordan Faison uh, with the, the football team. And apparently when, you know, when it's the heavy installation day in the spring, they're going to try to accommodate that. But any one of those receivers, I mean, heck, Deion Coles, he's got a lot to prove. And if he doesn't, he is going to get lapped here by, you know, the influx of receivers. So um, I know we're not. Yeah, I veered to the defensive side, JB. Sorry about that. Got a little excited about it. We're going to move on to a question <laughs> from DMW1ND. Now that that no, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead to CK42 guys since we were talking about offensive line. Let's say everything goes perfectly this spring summer for all the top offensive linemen. Who are the five starters against Texas A&M? Shroff and Coogan are the guards. Uh, Craig is the center. Jagasa is the tackle. I think Tosh Baker wins the job. That's all. I just think he wins the job. Um, I don't think he'd be here if he didn't think he'd win the job because you could go somewhere else. And I think that's a telltale sign these days. That's my guess because I haven't seen them block in the spring yet. Who do you have? Wait, who, who did you have at center? To I had Ash, Ashton Craig. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Then, then I tend to agree with that. I think that this is the year that that Tosh Baker finally. Um, does enough to win a job after getting not a ton of playing time last year, but the most playing time he thus far has gotten in his Notre Dame career. And um, the guy has been through numerous position coaching changes. He's swung from left tackle to right tackle. Um, this is the time he has to put it all together. And I I would expect. I still think uh, Pendleton can be a factor in there, though. Oh, well, yeah. we, and we haven't even mentioned Rocco Spindler, who who he didn't lose his starting job. Injury caused him to to for, to to give it up to Billy Shroud. I agree with your five, though. Uh, both you guys. Uh, well, you had the same same group. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think Pendleton's going to be a good interior offensive lineman for Notre Dame. I'm not sure that his time will have come um, in 2024. Will Emil Wagner push at one of those tackle spots? Uh, I, I just think the sheer ability of Jagasaw, and I agree with JB that I think Tosh Baker's time is about to come. That 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 that'll be the five. But you've got you do have legitimate competition there at the guard spots. Uh, I'm not sure how many options you have at tackle, uh, unless Gerby Lambert is a guy that hits the ground running when he comes in, or this Sullivan Axer, Sullivan yeah. Axer, which John pointed out. In one of our previous podcasts, way too early doom prediction is that the same five don't start all season long and not because of injury, because it's a younger group and they're not going to be a set finished product. Tim, as they go to Kyle Field, as you've tried to explain. Hard to do. Can't do it on the practice field. Has to happen in a game. You know why? Because it happens every year. Every year. <laughs> we have another type of question that can be asked every year. Also an offensive lineman from AMP 36. When talking about the offensive line, Ty Chan is virtually never brought up. The interior defensive line could use size and numbers, at least in 2025. I didn't read that part first. That's very important because they certainly have players right now. Would he have a better shot at playing time by moving to the other side of the ball? And would it even be something the coaching staff considers? It's, I mean, as far as I know, that's not a consideration Tai Chan has just not picked up, um, you know, the college game on the offensive line. And what I, what, what I, and I'm not saying that Amp 36 is forgetting this, but I'm not sure that everybody realizes that 
you know, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, defensive linemen on this level of football are much, generally speaking, much quicker twitch than offensive linemen. So to expect a Ty Chan who was projected as an offensive lineman to go to the defensive side of the ball and then show greater quickness that's necessary on the defensive line, it's just not realistic. I mean, it is it is the extreme exception to the rule when an offensive lineman tr- uh, moves over to the defensive line and is productive. And it usually only happens on the interior, not the exterior. JB and Tim, what did Lou Holtz say about the last stop after offensive line? What's the last stop? The bus stop. Yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't work that way. And Tai Chan, I mean, Tai Chan's a guy that I mean, we've kind of when people say, oh, well, who might leave? I, I don't think the light of day uh for playing time is going to be there for Tai Chan. And so maybe he just focuses on getting his degree first and then moves on. That's smart move. Uh, but generally speaking, offensive alignment moving the defense alignment at this level of football. You just don't have the quickness to do that. Next from Irish from A2. This is a quick answer for me. Have you been pleasantly surprised so far with Freeman's ability to build a staff? His handling of upgrading from Parker to Denbrock while retaining Golden Mickens and McCullough shows a level of savvy I wasn't expecting from a first-time head coach. I will answer first for the first time ever when I read the question and say I was expecting this and would have been disappointed had he not been able to do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, CP. You were expect. I don't. I was I mean, expecting a coach to do a good job of hiring coaches at, and when it's oh, his job to hire coaches, like you, well, I get, I you get shouldn't it, be bad I'm, at it at hiring no, coaches. I get it, but I mean, this was, this is idyllic. I mean, this is great off season for out about as perfectly as it, as it could. Is it over Tim? I think so. <laughs> I think, I think it's over. I'm finally saying <laughs> under whatever the number is that you're going to yeah. say. No, I mean, he I did it. He did a great job. And, and, we have a question about uh don't we have a question about his extension his contract extension so uh i don't want to minimize what what marcus did to to retain those guys or to go um i think there was a little bit of luck involved with with dealing maybe the mac head coach that i still expect him to be a candidate for a year from now a couple of those didn't open up as expected this cycle, um, Ball, State, Ball State specifically being one of them. Um, so, and then there weren't necessarily the opportunities to go be an offensive coordinator in the NFL that I think could have intrigued Dillon because he is, um, I think he's worthy of getting a shot at being a head coach and he's very candid and that is a, a driving goal for him to be a head coach. So I think the, I think the cycle, the way it played out benefited Marcus and Notre Dame as much as anything with Dillon. I give Marcus and especially um, the Notre Dame administration and Jack Swarbrick uh, on his way out, a tremendous amount of credit for locking up Mike Denbrock with the fourth year doing the same with Al Golden and also fending off Southern Cal uh, to keep Mike Mickens with a revamped contract uh, and a significant pay increase. And it's clear to me that Jack Swarbrick is doing everything he can on his way out the door to have Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame football best position for ultimate success in the coming years. JB, I'm going to throw it back to you with a question that we skipped here up top. It's from DNW1ND. Now that the key coaches have been either secured, promoted, or have had their contracts extended, when do we expect the Notre Dame administration to extend Marcus Freeman's contract beyond 2026? 
what will the extension look like and how much do you expect them to, to pay him? I want, I'm bringing this up now because, well, first of all, his contract was six years, correct? To begin yeah, with? He's two, yeah, he's two years into a six-year deal. So he's got four well, years 20, left. 2027. And we know that as Notre Dame was nearing the end of the season and going to Clemson, there was a lot of talk about the possibility of, of, uh, of moving forward with an extension uh, at that point. Then they went to Clemson and didn't play well. I don't know how exactly how much that impacted any kind of delays on it. But John, what you got any inklings as to where they're going with this? Because I would imagine that there's a good possibility that his contract is extended before the the twenty uh, twenty four season commences. Yeah, there, there's dialogue ongoing. Uh, Marcus is in the midst of a six year deal that pays him almost exactly an average of $7 million per year um, in talking with people around the industry. There's a belief that a, that a rework deal would get him much closer to $8 million per year and probably see him extended back out to a to at least a five, if not a six-year term moving forward. Um, I've got some of his raw numbers at home from the first deal um, that I had from a couple of years ago when it was first uh, signed and consummated, but um, that that's where things stand. There has been open dialogue about it. There's an interest on both sides to getting something done, and and that always helps when you have both sides committed to a common cause. A uh, question from Irish Cheesehead One: What are some of the things you hope to see from this team over the next six months that will make you truly believe a national title is within reach in 2024? Well, uh, Riley Leonard would be everything I hope he can be as a passer. Cause I know what he can be as a runner. Um, I think I went a little ahead of myself there with the Jardarian price, Eli Reardon thing. Cause I don't care if someone like Jalen Sneed proves himself that he belongs to be on the field in a rotational role next to Jack Kaiser. I want Jadarian price to be the next Audric Estime or Kyron Williams. So those are the type of things where if you think that guy is everything we were told he's going to be and it's Jadarian price or Eli Reardon, those would be, some upper level things other than that it's jb touched on a man it's the offensive line has the offensive line makes is gonna have to make this whole thing work for notre dame they can make if notre dame has very good skill position players they need their offensive line to still at least play as well as the offensive line played last year you can't drop off from that no you can't and they're, they're gonna spin their wheels at times it's just the, the way it goes i you know the cornerback play is i mean i want to the cornerback slash nickel play with the safeties, I want to see that that all fall into place. But I think that it all, you know, it starts up front on the offensive line. I I, I think that when you look at this team position by position, um, and especially since cohesion and chemistry is so important with an offensive line, that's just, that's the biggest concern. But fortunately, those young guys, I mean, they're still young guys. They got a bunch of reps last year. And I thought Pat Coogan, I thought Pat Coogan had an underrated year. I heard people complaining about him all the time, and I tried to, you know, each week during the season when doing tail tape, you try to study the offensive line as as best you can. And and what you try not to do is overreact to a busted play by a Rocco right. Spindler or a Pat Lugan in their first year of starting. You have to accept the fact that that's going to happen some of the times and not wait a play, wait as in W-E-I-G-H-T, a play too much because it, it was a negative play. But, um, you know, Again, I, I I go back to Jaden Mickey needs to be good. Christian Gray needs to hit the ground running as a starter in one spot or another. I think he will. 
Uh, I, do too. I do too. Yeah. I, do. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I fully expect him, uh, fully expect him to do that. I do want to, if we get cut off here, folks, we're having a, AT&T's having a bad day here. So, um, <laughs> I'll just keep talking. I have I have uh, Metro yeah. so we're good. <laughs> anyway, we're playing that a qualifier TP. I, I would say, yeah, the, the quarterback play is significant. Look, as we've discussed before, it's the fifth different starting quarterback, essentially, in the last five seasons for Notre Dame. The game has never been more quarterback-driven uh, when you look and see what teams have done in recent years, especially when you look and see uh, the difference to me for, for Michigan in winning the title this year was how much J.J. McCarthy elevated his game. Michael Penix essentially single-handedly, along with those great wideouts, carried Washington into the playoffs. Um, so, yes, it, it's the offensive line coalescing. It's Notre Dame getting a step above the quarterback play that it's had in recent years. And, and I would say I was disappointed on the whole from Sam Hartman's season, especially uh, with how much experience he entered that year and some of the mistakes that he made. And so um, Notre Dame doesn't just need Riley Leonard to match Sam Hartman a year ago. I think Notre Dame needs Riley Leonard to be better than Sam Hartman. And then Notre Dame uh, has to more consistently rush the passer with a variety of people, but including off the edge so that they don't have to utilize as many linebacker blitzes, in my opinion. So those are some of the the overarching themes that I see that if Notre Dame solves all those, I like the roster composition, I like the coaching staff, and I like the vastly improved depth and the continually improving team speed. That leads into our next question. I'm going to cut it in half here, guys, because we have talked about the offensive line and tackles, and this is from Donnelly3434. What personnel developments need to happen at defensive end to become playoff-level strengths in 2024, and how likely are these developments? I mean, RJ, JJB was the fourth or fifth or third, maybe for Tim, third or fourth, fifth best player on the team last year at strong side defensive end. I expect a uptick at Viper. I think Jordan Battelle will be better and Bubakar Traore is an up and coming player. Um, I think the, I think the pass rush will be better off the edge there. I liked what we saw from RJ Oban. I have, if you ask me who's better going into the season, RJ Oban or JJB, I would have said no, RJ Oban. I know, totally. But I have seen what has happened with JJB and that is a tough act to follow. If he is that good, with those defensive tackles at 23 years old right now, 24 Howard Cross, Kaiser, and that secondary, they're going to have an awesome defense. Uh, I have a lot more faith in defensive ends being playoff level than I do offensive tackles being playoff level. They just lost their playoff level offensive tackles. Yeah. Yeah. John? I mean, Blake Fisher was important to come back, honestly. Yeah, what no, think? I mean. Yeah, I, I think I, in a lot of ways, I just inadvertently answered that question with my last answer. Uh, so I, I tend to agree very strongly yeah. with T.O. there. They've got to do more from the from the ends with, with their rush presence to take that next step in that regard. And, you know, again, keep in mind, too many times we just say, okay, defensive end, that has to be the pass rush. And that's usually the, the key to your pass rush. But you have Al Golden as your defensive coordinator, and I think that he's proven, and he's proven will prove it again this year that he can come up with ways to create pass rush that isn't always just the defensive ends. Tim, I know you knew exactly what I meant when I said this, but to clarify, at this point last year, and even post spring preseason camp, RJ Oban would be higher on my list than JJB was then, not JJB now. Right. I know. No, yes. Yeah. yeah. JJB that's, was fantastic during the season. And yet, and yet RJ Oban has a lot to prove as a run defender as well. His numbers 
you know, when he when he's not sacking the quarterback or 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 maybe um you know, tack, his tackles for loss as a run defender. And I talked to him about that when we interviewed him and he said, you know, I've got, I've got to get better in that at, at that JJB said this. Well, you know what? I don't think JJB admitted that. Yeah. He, you asked him about it. Right. <laughs> he, didn't and it. he didn't. Yeah. He didn't. Uh, he, but he needed to get better and he absolutely did. So L Washington still being in the fold on the defensive line thing, I think is going to be very, very good for, for RJ Oban. And I, you know, Maybe RJ Oban doesn't make a whole lot of stops in a run game, but what he does do is he funnels traffic back inside, and that's a losing proposition for Nordic's <laughs> opponents because yeah. Mills and Cross are going to be there waiting for him. So I'm excited to see what uh, you know the impact that that Oban can have. Uh, question from Statman72: We talk about the lighter academic load grad students that grad students have allowing them to focus more on football, yet many players earn a degree. How do they do it with a supposedly lighter class load? You know, this might be because I talk about last, last week, I've kind of hammered home the point that if you're a graduate student, you shouldn't be made to take a certain number of classes anymore, that that's changed. And it has, it's, it's changed now finally publicly as opposed to privately. Um, when he says many students earn grad degrees, many do. Many of them have classes as they their graduate students. At it. They yeah. work harder at it. <laughs> they work harder at it. Like Jack Kaiser has two right now. Jack Kaiser had a grad degree, though, before last year, before he was a graduate. So they work harder. Not everybody has to work that hard as long as they're gone case to just graduate from Notre Dame and become a graduate student. So a lot of guys do it. We'll say a lot of guys have the plan in the spring and are talked out of it in the fall. A little bit more of that was 2020. I want to think with Brian Kelly. I don't think Marcus Freeman is going to change that tactic at all. Like Bo Bauer, Braden Lindsay, and one more player were enrolled in difficult Mendoza courses. And both by the time we talked to them in as graduate students, remember not they've graduated. So they're all allowed to do this. Both said I'm majoring in football by the time they came back in the fall. Cause I followed up with them both wondering what you're taking, how hard is this going to be? And he's like, ah, you know what? I, I kind of decided to major in football. Yeah. The, 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 the point is you can choose as a grad student sure. it, 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 and maybe we portrayed it as none of them do that. But if you want to, if you want a, a, a grad degree, you can get it. You just have to do more to earn it. Yeah. And I just think it's relevant that it's okay. When Sam Hartman says I am a non-degree seeking major because there's plenty of guys that are seeking graduate degrees too. It's the way it works. Uh, Jack Kaiser, if people miss this interview, Jack Kaiser wasn't sure if he's going to come back. So when he decided to come back, he can't find classes to take because they're all taken. Right. <laughs> so Notre Dame operates under regular class yeah. rules and Jack Kaiser has to find some classes to take. I'm sure someone will let him come in in some way, shape or form. But you know what? After two graduate degrees and what is he? Academic All-American, right? Jack Kaiser is Academic All-American. Uh, Go ahead and take whatever classes you want, I say, Jack, in your sixth year at Notre Dame. Do you oh, want to end with pin and pull? Uh, well, we have different versions, I think, Tim. So I'm going to let you quarterback this one through. Oh, we do. Yes, <laughs> I've been trying to keep up. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're I think we're going to skip that because I think that's just difficult for us to answer at this point. It's too speculative, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna move forward here. We're gonna wrap up with Sean Martin and his. His question comment uh, is, 
Does talking about Notre Dame nonstop for three plus minutes on national television mean that they are relevant? <laughs> Asking for Stephen A. Smith. I'm sure a lot of people heard Stephen A. Smith went off about Notre Dame not being relevant. Would people stop? You can say other things about no. You can say Notre Dame has not won a national title since 1988. Great. Stop saying that Notre Dame is irrelevant in football because you're wrong. They were in the playoffs in 2018, playoffs in 2020. They're 73 and 17 in their last 90 games. They're relevant. They've always been relevant. They have down moments. But stop using the damn word relevant because that'll make you irrelevant, Stephen A. Smith. Here's how irrelevant Notre Dame is, and and I say that obviously facetiously. Stephen A. Smith's stiffest competition at his network for biggest personality is Pat McAfee, whose butt was set up on, on the lawn outside Notre Dame Stadium doing his show live in front of a chaotic crowd this past season touting the Notre Dame-Ohio State football game. None other than Pat McAfee. Um, I'm an SEC. My roots are the SEC. That's where I grew up. I went to UT. Um, Notre Dame is relevant. Notre Dame has always been relevant. One of my favorite memories as a kid was going to that 1990 Tennessee-Notre Dame game in Neyland Stadium. Um, it was a huge deal for me then. It's still a huge deal for kids I talk to today. Friends of mine that want to bring their kids up from Knoxville to see a Notre Dame game. Notre Dame is relevant. And um, my biggest problem with Stephen A. Smith's comments are that I hate asinine conjecture like that because all it does is ultimately make all of our jobs harder. So selfishly. First of all, I didn't. I thought I was in a time warp because once again, this news came out like we said about eighteen months ago. This was going to be the situation, but apparently, not everybody reads the uh, playoff format. Things. Here's the problem with people that think Notre Dame is irrelevant. There's three things you don't understand: sports, number one; economics is number two; and three, you have no self awareness because you're screaming about Notre Dame not being relevant. You know what Notre Dame did? Notre Dame was told they had to join a conference after all this stuff started going down with all the conferences. They said, no, we're going to stay independent. And I'd also like to be invited to your little party where we talk about the new playoff system because I want to make sure we have a special place in it. And everybody there said, sure, come on in. Thanks. Here you go. What would you like? All right, we're good. Is this a good compromise? What other college, what other university could say, I would like a special situation for myself to be set up in? What other university has that w- there's one athletic director at the table for the 12 team playoff yeah. and it's the athletic director from Notre Dame. But I mean, economics a- is what you what? don't understand, right? You don't understand money. Yeah, if no, you don't understand this. Right. <laughs> I think one of our subscribers pointed out, well, okay, first of all, he, he kept coming back to Notre Dame hasn't won a national title in how long. And I get that. I mean, it's too, it, Notre Dame's gone too long without winning a national title. Again, economics, well, they don't have to win a national title to be relevant. They have to win a national title to win a national title. But if you base it upon, if you say you're irrelevant, if you haven't won a national title, then Georgia was irrelevant until they won a national title a couple of years ago. I think one of our subscribers pointed that out. Relevancy and national titles. There's nothing in between. That's just absolutely ridiculous. They're just different topics too. Winning the national title and being a team that everybody wants to watch and have to their stadium are completely different things. Yeah, and again, I'll, I'll just double down and say, so irrelevant that ABC, the parent company of ESPN and the ACC Network, does everything that it can to get Notre Dame on its television lineup anytime that it can. So, again, that was um, that was an outlandish 
um, monologue that was nothing but attention seeking um, and based in in no merit whatsoever. And, and the numbers the numbers don't lie. And those numbers are the television eyeballs, and those numbers are the revenues that Notre Dame generates both for itself and every time it uh, turns through the gate for someone else. You know what he should have argued, and someone smart about this would have it that follows college football or football. He should have argued the only thing Notre Dame is is relevant. That's yeah. all Notre Dame is. Is they're relevant. They're so relevant. They're, they are relevant. They are the thing that people want to see. It doesn't mean they have to be good he or could, bad or he average. Could say, he could say they're relevant and they they shouldn't be. But you okay. can't. Say but no, but that's not true though because of the money. You you don't have to no, win no, to be relevant. I, <laughs> no, I mean in, in terms of what, how he's judging it, but it's it's. I think at some point he mentioned NBC. NBC, what are you doing with a contract? Again, economics, T.O. What are, what are you <laughs> just talking ridiculous. about? What, so NBC, it's a it's just a losing proposition for NBC, huh? Maybe they're just praying Notre Dame wins a national title every year and funneling money out there for the heck of it. See if that works out. All right, enough about that. We're going to come back. We we are going to have, as, as we mentioned early on, that we're going to, we will have an opportunity uh, to talk with Mike Denbrock, uh, we're planning a, an instant analysis after and Max uh, Bulla and Max, and Max Bulla. Bulla. Yeah, I'm Max excited Bulla to visit well. Max a little bit was more. He, was he on the original list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed it. Uh, great, he's a great interview. Uh, great Notre Dame connections with grandfather, his grandfather playing football at Notre Dame. Uh, great catch by Notre Dame again. I mean, we talk about the question about about Marcus Freeman and, uh, and, uh, and, and his hiring. I don't even think Bola's name was mentioned in that, but everybody knows that Max Bull is going to be a quality coach and, 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 uh, Bill O'Brien was prepared to, to, to prove that even further and Notre Dame jumped in and Marcus Freeman uh, made sure that it happened. So a uh, lot happening. We're still a couple of weeks away from spring practice starting, but we'll, uh, we'll be there tomorrow for Mike Denbrock and look for an uh, instant analysis on irishillustrated.com. Until next week, when we come back for a uh, for another Irish Illustrated Insider podcast, I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and John Bryce. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>